Welcome to episode 57 of the Breaking Balls podcast. It was throwback week and NASCAR even on this podcast. We were with the Lady in Black in Darlington, and we even got two guys back on the podcast this week, Ad. It's nice to be back here. You know, Bob, it is nice for me to be here for our numbers. I took a look at those, but, you know, Bob, speaking of great numbers, we had number 99 in the booth doing a hell of a job commentating the race, and, oh yeah, Ross Chastain's back in the news. Hit it, Dolly. in the air. Buggity, buggity, buggity. Let's go racing, boys. All right, everybody. Episode 57, Breaking Balls. It's NASCAR Throwback Weekend, NASCAR 75. A lot of numbers thrown out here early. But uh, the only thing that matters here is there is two hosts in this studio. A lot to break down, obviously, with Darlington, but let's not ignore the elephant in the room. And I'm not talking about my Italian-fed co-host. Well, actually, I am. It's Mr. Adam O'Shea, everybody. He's back. I was an elephant before I left. However, I'm more of a woolly mammoth <laughs> on my return. Um, a lot of good food. I ended up watching an F1 race, Bob. Wild. Who'd have thought? Um, I, I can't tell you how happy I was to turn on a race and understand that it was 400 miles. Um, I, I hate the metric system. Um, and parenting in Europe is different. I'll leave it at that. But, Bob, let me tell you. As someone who was here, or not here per se, actually the exact opposite of here per se, and I'm going to stop saying the word per se, but the solo Bobcast was simply a sight to behold. It was some music to my ears while I was in Europe. Um, I haven't quite told you much about this cruise yet, Bob, but it was deeply, deeply marketed to the American South, but we'll get that, we'll get to that later in the show, and I've got some stories for you, fellas, because the Southern accent is out of place in the majority of places, but nowhere more out of place than in Europe. And there's some great stories there. But also, luckily, great stories coming out of South Carolina today, Bob. I mean, where should we start? Well, I was going to say, that's a natural transition. You, you were saying the, the cruise was kind of filled with a lot of Southern culture there. doesn't get much more Southern and NASCAR than, than Darlington. It feels like the quintessential NASCAR track, obviously, kind of the first big speedway. It's the, one of the oldest tracks on the circuit here. And, uh, I mean, Ad, it seems like every time we go there, we get a storyline or two. Whether it's on the track, off the track, it's beef, it's a wild finish. And, I mean, this this I, I don't think this was any exception here. Um, obviously, old William Byron, you know, his third one of the season to, to lead the garage, you know, he... It can't say enough about the start that that 24 team has had. You know, obviously last year it was a Joey Logano just absolute full send into his back bumper away from you know repeating this year. But um, we always said you know you know Byron's got the speed to start the season and has those lulls, but doesn't seem like that's on the horizon. We we keep saying you know we're waiting for that drop off, but that 24 team is strong. Ad. Yeah, they've seemed to have found a way to be consistent. Um, kind of odd because out of all of the Hendrick teams that are running right now you would you would kind of you wouldn't have William Byron on your short list to be the most consistent driver but he certainly has been um all credit to him I think the broadcast does a really good job of kind of highlighting the all the work that he's done in the off season you know getting in, in iRacing and the simulator and really kind of just getting himself comfortable um more or less, that when he comes to these tracks, he knows how hard he can push the car based off of, obviously, the data and the numbers that that gives you. And 
No, it's never going to be a complete replacement to getting behind the wheel and driving, but it, it does evidence that it certainly does help because the, there was a lot of situations that William Byron was in today that I think in the past he handles a lot differently, but never really lost his confidence throughout this entire race, even when he probably had some, you know, a pretty good opportunity to. I mean, he certainly wasn't the best car um, in this race, but at the end of the day, it, it, the best car doesn't always win, and that was really what today's race proved to me was that, you know, sometimes sometimes better be lucky than good, and, and it certainly felt like William Byron was good, and then in the end he was lucky. So all credit for that team. It felt like William Byron, there was about five cars, maybe four cars today that really were kind of the class of the field that had the speed it felt like to be around there uh, today, Ad. But, you know, when it came down to it, William Byron was the one left standing. Uh, it seemed like the cars around him were kind of beaten up from the last couple of restarts. But, um, you know, obviously we'll get to the kind of the chaos <laughs> in those last couple of restarts. But the one thing I did want to notice, um, you know, when I mentioned those, you know, couple cars that did have the speed today, it felt like guys that are going to be contenders down the line here. They've been kind of the consistent ones in the garage so far this year. Uh, I'm looking at, obviously, William Byron, Kyle Larson, Ross Chastain. Those two have to go hand-in-hand. Hand, but, um, you know, you've got Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Christopher Bell kind of snuck up there a little bit there toward the end. Guys like that, it seems like they've just been kind of consistent on these mile-and-a-half, these short tracks, even in super speedways. They've kind of been uh, toward the front and, yeah, I feel like Darlington does kind of, you know, you were kind of saying at the in kind of our pre-production here, the cream rises to the top at Darlington. I feel like this is a great measuring stick. This is the 13th race of the season. You're halfway now in the regular season. And it feels like some of the guys that were players today are kind of the names we've been seeing the last few weeks and the last few months in the, in the NASCAR season to start. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and plus even kind of a newer face. Um, Martin Truex Jr. was dominant today. I mean, that car was an absolute rocket ship to start the race. Um, obviously, ended up getting into a little bit of trouble there towards the end. Um, anytime you spin twice, you're probably not going to uh, – probably not going not to love your chances to win any races. But, man, that, that just seemed like – I don't understand why, but it feels like the past two years, Martin Truex Jr. has raced a ton of races that he's just about three or four laps away from being, you know, from a really good finish or a win. And it, it just felt like – you know, today Hart kind of broke for him because it was like he did everything right and just kind of got caught up. And you hate to see that. But no, Bob, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. The guys you would expect to be in top tens today were all there at the beginning of stage three. I mean, like you said, I mean, even you could throw Chase Elliott in there. I mean, talk about a guy who, who kind of had a little bit of a revival today. Um, looked good. Looked really good all day. Um, found a way to stay out of trouble and and looked kind of like the Chase Elliott of old. So it was kind of good to see him get back on track because, I mean, whether or not whether or not we like it, it you know, NASCAR is going to push Chase Elliott. He's the sport's most popular driver, and it's a lot better when he's performing. So, yeah, it, it did seem a lot like the big boys showed up to play today. And, and this is not a track that Chase Elliott is, you know, going to say is one of his stronger suits. You even heard Bill at the end say, you know, we'll take P3. That feels like a win today especially with the car, but, um, you know, obviously let's get into the last couple of restarts there because um, it was fairly straightforward. It felt like for the most part, especially stage one, everyone played nice stage two. Obviously you did have the, the Chastain and Truex thing, which I, I want to touch on later here when we get into kind of the conflicts on track, but um, add those last two restarts. It really felt like everything kind of 
really picked up once Ryan Newman went around with, I want to say, 18 or 19 to go there. I mean, um, the, the Truex spin, uh, just your thoughts there. It looked like it was just kind of, you know, uh, just kind of the, the, the frantic restart there, just everyone kind of realizing that the clock was ticking there. Is that is Am I reading that right? Yeah, I agree with you. It, it's one of those things to where we were talking about it after stage two because um, I can't remember whose move I didn't like at the end of stage two, but just – it's one of those things where it's like you you don't win races at the end of stage one or stage two. So it's not until the end of stage three where you see guys start to get a little bit desperate. And that's kind of just what was, you know, that spin kind of bred. It was just, it comes from everyone racing hard. Maybe that room was there earlier in the day, but guys are not willing to give that up, especially in the last 20 laps or so. It's kind of, it kind of just turns into the last two minutes of a basketball game or even when they pull the goalie in hockey, it's just like, it's desperation time. Something crazy is going to happen, and it was just a shame that Martin Truex was kind of at the at the shit end of it. You hate to see it, obviously. Um, he's had a, a really good run of form lately, but like you said, just if that team can't get snake bit, it feels like they do find a way in, in time. So that's why that Dover win was so surprising. He had such a, a strong car, and he, you know, he, he ends up closing it out. This is more of what we've kind of felt like, you know, like you said, the last two or three years. So. Um, we'll see if they can get back on the right track. Obviously, it was not a Toyota weekend. We'll get into that as well. But um, let's not let's not bury the lead here. Ad, this is the main part of the story. Here was the main restart on the the eight to go, the second restart that kind of caused overtime and all the all the, the the headlines. I'm sure we'll be we'll be hearing this week between the the five and the one camp. Kyle Larson, Ross Chastain. Um, obviously, these two have gotten together the last couple uh, weeks and. Uh, I mean, Ross Chastain, you know, just an- another week where we're talking about him on the track getting into, you know, some kind of antics. But, um, Ad, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, would lo- I would love to hear your thoughts here first. Please, go ahead. You know, I, we're recording a little later than we usually do, and this, my opinion, has changed massively in just an hour on this. Watching it, I was, you know, I was kind of – I was mad at Ross because obviously that's just kind of – I think everything – Everything points to being very angry at Ross every time he does anything, involved in something, Twitter jumps on him. But I, I got to be honest, I don't mind this one. And the only reason being is because of who he did it to. And it was Kyle Larson because Kyle Larson is the king of not wrecking people, but putting people in situations where it's either lift or you are going to wreck. And I think you hear a lot of people talk about how Kyle Larson is very good at that. They've become privy to it on the broadcast, and they start mentioning it as they happen. But this, to me, feels a lot like Ross putting Kyle Larson in a decision where he had to lift or they were going to wreck. Kyle Larson doesn't often lift, didn't this time. And I guess the thing is, is I understand how it happened. You can get into whether or not it was, you know, it was right or whatever, but... At the end of the day, I think Ross Ross threw a move. I think, you know, it's my favorite saying as of late, Bob. He threw a, you know, he threw a twenty dollar move, but at least he had like fifteen dollars in his pocket on that one. It wasn't like Sam Mayer the day before where it was ten a ten dollar, you know, twenty dollar move and ten dollars in his pocket. But I didn't, I didn't mind it. I think that's racing. I think any, like we said, when when the lap the laps remaining gets to single digits, especially. You got to do everything you can to win a race. I think that was the move that Ross thought he had to make to win the race, and we saw him start to do it at the at, at stage three. I mean, hell, he almost took Kyle Busch's nose off at one of the restarts. So 
if you didn't see this coming, it's kind of your fault at this point. So I, it's hard to blame Ross because he's consistently showed you who he is. I I so agree with what you said. If you didn't see it coming, I, you know, it's Mother's Day. Was sitting there watching it with my mother. She loves racing. This is this is the highlight of her Sundays as well. And literally right before they touched going to that corner, Ad, we both said, "Oh, they're 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 going to take each other out." I mean, yeah. it's an, it was inevitable um, from the original restart with, with the Truex spin when it was the roles were reversed when Larson was, I believe, on the the top or the bottom, and, and Chastain was on the top. And Larson squeezed Chastain. They touched even going into the turn. So you knew that there was going to be not even an inch let up there. And, you know, you saw Larson try and force his way down there. And Chastain already had his mind up that he was going to squeeze Larson the exact same way, like you said, that Larson did to him. And it was kind of like you said, where the roles were reversed. And if you don't let up, you're going to wreck yourself. And Larson found himself in that position. And these are two guys that, no no bones about it, I think, especially the last calendar year, they've had some on-track, I don't want to say necessarily run-ins with Larson as much as Chastain, but um, Larson has had his fair share of incidents on the track when it comes to hard racing, and I mean, obviously I think Chastain definitely put himself in a position there to wreck as well, but at the end of the day, this is Darlington, there's eight to go. I think if one of these guys lets up, the other one's gone, and that's probably the race, barring another caution. So I think it's just byproduct of that's rubbing his racing, bumping his racing, and two aggressive guys, neither one's going to give an inch, and instead they both end up in the garage. Yeah. I don't think there's more to that, but instead, you know, you're going to hear the, oh, this and that, it's, it's his fault, it's that fault. I, well, I don't really, I don't but, really think but so. But even then, Bob, it's like, if you are in the, if you're in the NASCAR hall or, or you're watching this race as a NASCAR executive, you're licking your chops watching this. This is your most popular driver in the sport right now. I mean, let's face facts. Chase Elliott is what he is. He moves the needle most consistently. But on a short-term basis, you could make the argument that Ross Chastain is the straw that stirs NASCAR's drink right now. I mean, he's the only thing that is consistently getting them airtime. And then on the other end of this, you've got Kyle Larson. Well, he lives rent-free in every driver's head, too. He lives rent-free in everyone's head right now. Well, rent-free in every driver's head, rent-free on ESPN, rent-free on Fox. I mean, all these places are giving him publicity. And then you've got Kyle Larson, who is widely regarded as probably one of, if not the single best race car driver in the world. So if you are going to have a conflict like this for NASCAR at your, what is, in my opinion the best track you have to race at, it's a perfect storm. So, yeah, we could be pissed and, you know, oh, maybe you shouldn't have done this, maybe you shouldn't have done that. But at the end of the day, you've got two of your biggest names racing hard at one of your biggest and most historically significant tracks in the sport. And if you don't like that, that says more about you than it does about the sport. I mean, it just feels like one of those situations where it's like... you. I, I understand the frustration of maybe not wanting to make, you know, to see the contact really influence the race and put them both in the garage. But if you don't like contact, there's plenty of F1 to watch. There's plenty of IndyCar to watch. It's a big part of the sport. Rubbin, Rubbin's racing. And, we, you know, it's been said since the beginning of the time, and it's not going anywhere. Especially at a track like Darlington, where, you know, that is the, again, well, when you think of NASCAR and you think of old school beating and banging race. Darlington is probably what comes to mind for and, most fans. And the exit of turn two is barely wide enough for two cars to run through it side by side. 
So it's like, of course there's gonna be all sorts of things going on, but that's what makes this track what it is. And honestly, I think it it has consistently been, regardless of what generation of car, it has been one of the best racetracks we go to. And not to bring a call back here, but I wanted to mention that uh, Truex and you know Chastain battle at the lead there at the end of stage two, where you know Truex kind of sends it in on turn three. If you're criticizing Ross Chastain for that move, you got to criticize Martin Truex for the same move in turn in stage two because at least that one was just for a stage win. It wasn't even for the race lead uh, going, you know, for the checkered flag there with you know eight to go. And this is where it I was just as aggressive, and it was more of a send for Truex than it was Ross, you know, neck and neck with the leader. Yeah, Larson had a little bit of a leeway going into one, but I think Truex's move is a lot more desperate. But that's going to get buried because uh, you know obviously Ross Chastain is track history, and uh, you know that was the the two cars that were probably the best of the field by the end of the day. Well, there was two comments that were made after the race about Ross Chastain. Or actually, one was made during the race. The other one was after. But, but during the race, Martin Truex Jr., oh, well, if he wasn't trying to worry so bad about blocking, we wouldn't have wrecked there. And it's like, yeah, but I think what you're, wor- you're not factoring in is you just sent it inside for no reason. Like, Ross was checking up because I think it was Suarez, I think it was Daniel Suarez who was in front of him. There was a lap car in front of him, and he was checking up. And obviously, like, he was trying to go around him, and it looked like just when Truex decided to dive bomb. And it's like, look, dude, you're, you need to be cognizant of the move you're making. And just because he's not giving you that room that you think you expect. But I guess my question becomes, why were you expecting it? Because you knew the one car was in front of you, and you know he's not going to give you any room. He's going to leave you enough room for your race car, if that. Out of anyone, who's who's the car that's not going to give you that move in racing? Like, the, just like you got to also read the room. Martin Truex is a veteran. He's he's been around for so long that he knows that Ross Chastain is gonna is gonna make that move, and he was the one that ultimately decided to send that in there. And like you said, you're not even going for the race win there; you're going for a stage two win. Yeah, um, a long battle there, and you know maybe it. it kind of slowed the 19 down because obviously he wasn't as much of a factor but then found himself in a position to get there and you know still you know couldn't capitalize so i mean man it's just again very similar moves but Truex is a little bit more desperate but you know the story is going to be ross chastain which obviously nascar wants and probably needs but um he was not the the only one that was um racing hard out there today even though that'll be the storyline of course no and that's that's kind of Honestly, if we imagine if we had a track full of Ross Chastain's racing out there, I mean, shit, it would. I I don't think you would have as much as much problem selling the sport as you are now if everybody was trying to. I don't know because he doesn't. It's 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 on the verge of aggressive. You know, it's not quite like in your face aggressive the same way we used to see Dale Earnhardt stuff like that. But it it certainly isn't passive and the. I think the majority of how NASCAR races is pretty passive, such that even when you have somebody who is, you know, aggressive 60, 70 percent of the time, it's just so, you know, abnormal to what you the style of racing that these guys have become accustomed to that I almost don't hate that he's in there just shaking things up a little bit. It's good for the sport, like you said, I mean. Gives that old school kind of racing. Obviously, Dale Jr. had those comments that kind of shook a lot of the fan base uh, on Monday or Tuesday on his podcast. But yeah, I, I, you know, obviously, uh, not to you know beat it to a dead horse, but if, if you're if you're upset about uh, Ross with Larson, you, you got to be upset with Truex about Larson. And obviously, uh, you know, 
even you know, it's been an eventful week for Ross, but you know, he, he's going to be putting himself in this you know predicament, like we said, you know, the last ten minutes it feels like ad probably it, it's probably been shorter than that, but um, you know, even Dale Earnhardt Jr. was saying, you know, we're at a point now where Ross Chastain's you know. He could he could be the next level star. He could be, and he even said this, the next Dale Earnhardt. And you know, obviously rocked a lot of boats among the fan base there. But if anyone can say that, first of all, it's Junior. And two, uh, it, once he kind of you know laid out his points, it made a little bit more sense to me. Um, obviously, the on track is more of what he's talking about. But okay. uh, he, he's he's not intimidated. He 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 fights for every inch. He doesn't. He he races every battle like it's the most important one. He. He's not going to let you buy easy. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to do it the clean way sometimes. But, you know, that was that was senior. Uh, obviously, the Terry Labonte wreck comes to mind. Didn't want to wreck him, just wanted to rattle his cage. But you know, we look back with those rose-colored glasses, you know, Dale Earnhardt didn't do anything wrong. He was the intimidator, the man in black. But you know, there was a time before that nickname. Like Junior said, that was all sponsorship that was created. The man in black, the intimidator, that was all started on a, t- on a T-shirt and a, and a hat. That was Dale Earnhardt saying, I- I'm not going to be intimidated like this. So it, it is interesting to see where Ross Chastain moves from this. Um, we're at a very interesting crossroads, Ad. I, I'm, just, I'm curious to see if it's just more weekly things where he's just living rent-free and kind of the, the pest, or if NASCAR can capitalize on this and make it you know, bigger. Well, I think in, in, this, in this day and age, I think there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of not genuine things going on, whether that be in the media, sports, all sorts of things. And even in NASCAR, I think, you know, NASCAR is guilty of trying to make personas out of guys where they're just not. And, you know, and anybody with, you know, half a common sense will be able to tell you that it's not genuine, it's not real. Ross Chastain is the first persona in a very long time in NASCAR that doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like there's anything artificial. It just feels like this is who he is. He is a watermelon farmer who is there to race as hard as he possibly can because he understands what the other side of the world looks like where you're not a race car driver. And he looks like he's doing just about everything he can to make sure he doesn't go back. And that's what this sport needs. It needs genuine characters. And the Watermelon Man is the best one we've got going right now. For whatever reason, honestly, it's not even for whatever reason. It's the hard racing. It's the, you never know who's going to try and go up and hit him in the face. I mean, this guy is the single most talked about thing every week in our sport. And not to mention, even this week, you got Rick Hendrick on the line talking about, oh, well, it's hard to win with a lot of, you know, a lot of IOUs left on the track and stuff like that. And I think you, you know me, Bob, you won't find a guy who respects Rick Hendrick and what he's done more than I have. I, I think Hendrick Motorsports is incredible, but this guy has to be living in the year 1998 because yeah, there was a time in NASCAR where you couldn't get away. You couldn't get away with doing this. Somebody would have either punched you in the face or put you into the wall by now. And Ross has been doing it for the better part of two years and nothing has happened. But then of course he comes out and after post race today, Oh, you know, it's hard to do this hard to do that. It's not hard for him to do anything. And it hasn't been for two years. So what's going to change? I don't, I don't see anybody really going out or rushing to get punched in the face. So at this point, he's talked enough shit and backed enough of it up to where it's like, we've got a problem, NASCAR. And if you don't know what to expect with the number one car next to you, it's your fault. Yeah. Well, I, you know, yeah, like you said, we talk about it every week. We're kind of, it feels like we beat a dead horse. So um, let, let's get it kind of into, you know, the, the finishing results and just kind of 
you know, the overall playoff picture. Because, again, we are at the halfway point now of the regular season, 13 to go. Uh, we are kind of getting an understanding of what that, that kind of playoff seeding kind of looks like here. Obviously, uh, Byron with three wins, that's huge. But um, add, you know, looking at the, the, the top ten here, a couple things that jump out to me. Obviously, Kevin Harvick, I mean, even in the wrecks with the damaged car, still finds a way. P2. I, I mean, the man just gets everything out of his finishing. Uh, he, he maximizes the results, even with the car that probably was top 10 at best, to be quite honest with you. But um, another shout-out real quick here. The RFK cars, both top 10. I mean, obviously, Keselowski was there all day today, even with a damaged car at the last restart. But Chris Buescher was around the 15 to 20 mark all day, and somehow with the, the carnage, escaped both wrecks and ended up P10. Add the RFK cars are hot to start yeah. the season compared to they're at least finding, last year relatively. They're finding something. I mean, it, it definitely feels like they turned the page over there. The one, two relationship. We've talked about it a million times before, but it just seems to be working for them. And you know, I, it's hard. Like I said, it, it's just hard to bet against them right now, especially if, you know, if Brad's kind of finding his old form a little bit, which, you know, watching qualifying and stuff, it, it looked very familiar. That, you know, it looked it didn't look out of place to have Brad Keselowski kind of back at the top of qualifying, you know, fighting for the pole, that type of thing. And I don't know, man, this team feels like they're destined for something. They're still one or two pieces away. I'm not going to be the brain that tells you what it is, but they're close, Bob. No, definitely. It feels like they can just get back into the winner's circle. That Busher win at Bristol last year obviously was the start of something, but especially getting Brad Keselowski in the victory lane. Yeah, it's going to go a long way for the culture there, but they're they're knocking on the doorstep, Adam. Um, another guy that, you know, really needed – go ahead. I will say this. The other guy that kind of comes to mind, and partially because it's a little bit nostalgic that you were watching this car anyway, but 21, the Wood Brothers car. The Good, good on Harrison Burton, man. Kind of finding a way to stick around. It wasn't like he was irrelevant all race. He did find a way to stick around and eventually get a finish. Car even got sent to Tech. I mean, he was very firmly in this race, Bob. Yeah, 100%. I hate you so much. That was literally what I was about to say was Harrison Burton. So <laughs> we'll, we'll take the natural transition way and clunk it up there for a minute in true Harrison Burton fashion there. Um, but I will say that 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 exide throwback scheme to his dad, beautiful looking car. And uh, I'm glad to see the 21 ended up there. And uh, kind of the guy that we've always been comparing him with since you know his rookie season last year, Todd Gillen, another you know, racing name. I, I, I got to be honest, I didn't even realize he finished 11th, even getting caught up in a couple of wrecks today. That 38 team, man, Todd Gillen really handled, you know, about two weeks or a week before the Daytona duels that, you know, he wasn't technically going to be full-time because they're going to throw Zane Smith in that seat. Kind of got the raw end of the stick of that 38 team. And, man, really has taken a nice step in his sophomore year. I, I know we kind of praise him a little bit every week, but um, especially with the uh, – the adversity, I guess, that 38 team faced and the carnage that ensued afterwards. The fact that they even got an 11th place finish. Somebody give Todd Gillen a ride next year, whether it's the 38 team or you know, Spire. Somebody, he does not. He needs to be in the Cup Series. He's getting better. Yeah, no, he's the one. The one younger driver that you look at that you can can show. You can show consistent progress week to week, and I I think that's that's kind of what the young guns are missing. I mean, even Noah Gregson stuff and. You know, Ty Gibbs, who another guy who had a decent day today and a great paint scheme, by the way, with Shriners Hospital and the Washington Redskins throwback. But he, 
of all of those names, all of the people, it just seems like Todd Gilliland is the one who you can see the very clear step that he takes week after week that he's in this cup car. And it, it certainly makes it seem like the future is bright and exciting for him. I don't know what it looks like with front row, especially after getting the raw end of the deal. Who knows where he ends up? I mean, that's a guy who, if he wants to stay in the Ford family, I think there will be a seat at SHR for him eventually. Who knows? We'll have to see. But definitely someone to keep an eye on, especially the young guns. Absolutely. And, you know, Justin Haley, another guy that snuck into the top ten there, probably just based off attrition and staying around there. But an eighth-place finish. Uh, some guys, though, that, you know, we got to do have to mention the other, the other coin there. I mean, the one that really jumps out to me, has anyone seen Austin Sindrick or Chase Briscoe in the last month or so? I mean, goodness gracious, it has been rough goings over there for both those camps. Guys that are, uh, you know, in the second and third years that are supposedly going to be, you know, anchors of these, you know, flagship Ford teams moving forward. Sindrick especially has had a rough year, but Briscoe, I mean, there's been times in the last three and four weeks where he's been the slowest car on the field, and that's counting everyone that's counting bj mcclaud that's counting jj yaley the spire cars i i mean he ended up finishing 17th he, he got a little bit out of it but um i mean there's a couple guys that, you know I'll, I'll touch on a, a few more names but i mean add the briscoe and cindric camp really needs a, a couple of good runs here just to get some momentum back in the in the sales yeah, it feels like there's a lot going on for Briscoe personally. I mean, he got injured and had to have surgery, and then I believe one of his children broke an arm or something like that. So he's got a ton of stuff going on injury-wise. And I don't know, if your last name's Briscoe, you may as well wrap yourself in bubble wrap. But yeah, it, it just doesn't seem like they, you know, he's been able to find finishes or any, any speed whatsoever. Um, I really know what to do with it, because like I said, I, I, I think I was, I've always been... I kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, especially understanding the injury and stuff like that. But I don't know. It, it's kind of tough when you're in that good of equipment and you're somehow slower than guys who essentially are the modern day starting parks of NASCAR. I mean, you're, you're at too big of an, or, an organization and there's too much, you, you have too much sponsorship money, too much investment behind you to be running back there. So I don't know if they just went and took a swing at a setup and miss today, or if that's just been what's been happening the past few weeks here. But I, I think you're right. It, it's kind of inexplainable. And if it continues, I don't think it's going to be received too kindly because I, I, I don't know much about Tony Stewart, but doesn't necessarily seem like he's got a ton of patience, Bob. No, it's got to be frustrating because these teams have so much funding coming in, whether it's through the manufacturers or sponsorship, and they're constantly getting out ran by teams like JTD with Ricky Stenhouse and, you know, Todd Gilliland. And I mean, Ricky Stenhouse, even with the spin today, 13th yep. showed speed all weekend through practice and qualifying. I mean, that team is getting locked in with the Daytona 500 wins. So they're in the playoffs already, but for sure they're a team that can contend in that midfield pack. They're not going to be maybe challenging for wins, but I could, that's a team that could definitely sneak into the round of 12 in the playoffs if things go the right way. And um, I got to give them credit, even with the off brand kind of UPS throwback today compared to Ross, but a good day for the, for the 47 team. Let me ask you this, Bob, because when you, so when you consider, you know, at the beginning of a NASCAR season, I think both you and I do this to where we kind of can look at it week by week and kind of guess who's going to win where and that type of thing. Is Chase Briscoe a name that when you look at the NASCAR schedule at the beginning of the year is, 
I don't know about you. I have him on my list of people who I think is going to get at least one win every year. I don't know why. I can't necessarily even give you a, any sort of hard backup to it. But just considering, like I said, the sponsorship, the team, all of it, I just think, especially with, you know, I don't know if I have that bad move that he, the bad slide job that he threw in the just Bristol dirt race two years ago now, stuck in my head and just thinking, oh, he's finds a way to be around. But I don't know. It just seems like one of those cars that you would expect to be overperforming and certainly not underperforming. But just a thought that I had. Well, he's, I mean, he's going to have to be the face of Stuart Haas once Kevin Harvick leaves next year. I mean, he's going to be the guy. Obviously, Almirola is the veteran, but I think as far as championship pedigree, I think Briscoe is probably the guy that has the best shot at winning a title, which you know doesn't say a, a, a whole lot about that team currently. But you've got a guy like Josh Berry coming in. Who knows what that's going to look like? He's got, obviously, a lot of talent, but you know, even him today, I mean, he was a no-show in that 48 car, multiple laps down early. Um, I, I don't know. It's something that you've got to watch with Briscoe's consistency because the talent is there. Um, but add real quick here, we've been talking about the results here, and outside of one guy's paint scheme, eh, we haven't mentioned most of the Toyotas. I mean, yeah, Martin Truex had some speed today, but uh, we really came out of qualifying and practice on Saturday thinking the Toyotas are going to be really good, obviously uh, sharing the front row with Bubba Wallace and Truex. And, you know, obviously Bubba ended up in the top ten. You had... Bell show a little bit of speed there, but outside of Truex for the first two stages, Toyota was a non-factor really today at the top of the, the field. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like you said, Bell was a mover early, uh, found a way to kind of navigate his way through the field, did a good job. Um, I was, I got to say it, you don't, as we were talking about kind of guys taking a step, especially Todd Gillen kind of actively taking a step, you know, week to week. Bubba Wallace is in that category, too. I think he's just a lot closer to being a, you know, a, a more consistent finisher. I think, you know, Bubba's kind of guilty of getting a little bit in his feelings and kind of, you know, throwing away good finishes, thing like, things like that. But today just showed me that when it comes to racing, and especially on a track that's as difficult as Darlington, Bubba has the talent. Just a matter of whether or not he's able to piece it all together and... Yeah, I, I got to say, seeing the two Toyotas in qualifying and then starting on the front row and both having speed and, you know, kind of seeing that challenge early, it, it really seemed like Toyota was going to find a way to kind of run away from, run away with this one. Um, but then eventually those darn Chevys, man, they just come back, they come in waves, there's so many of them, and ultimately they kind of, you know, a spin here, a nudge there, shove here. And the Chevys are back on top. It, it just feels like if you're a Toyota racing fan, what the heck do you guys got to do to get in victory lane? I mean, obviously Denny was there, but like not but last week. But it just seemed like this feels like it's this part of the season where Toyota can usually get a little bit of a run, and they just don't have any momentum at all. Yeah, I mean, outside of the last two races they won going into this week. We'll give you some rust. You've been in Italy, my friend. It's I don't know fine. What you're You've been worried about. about Red Bull. Been Red Bull and Ferrari the last couple Dude, weeks. Dude, I've been it's watching fine, Follow the Red Bulls for a fine. few weeks. And if you've been watching F1 the last few weeks, God bless you. It's been rough like like me. But anyway, um, I mean, just to kind of put a bow on this one, you know, going to the, the, the playoff grid, you know, obviously, I, I mentioned Byron's got, you know, the, the garage leading three wins now to kind of put him, you know, above Larson, above Kyle Busch with two wins. Um, but you look at the bubble there. You know, bubble Wallace got some stage points. They really put himself in a good position. 
Chase Briscoe now uh, in the cut line, five points in, as Alex Bowman slides finally out. He was a points leader a couple weeks ago and then, you know, breaks his neck, dirt racing, and la di da di da you're, you're all of a sudden out of the playoffs. Life comes at you fast at the Allied camp. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, the guys that are looking out right now, I'm going to give you all the names just on the, the, the next row out here. You've got Alex Bowman, Daniel Suarez, Ty Gibbs, Austin Sindrick, Michael McDowell. How do those guys add? Who do you like the most to get in? Because obviously Bowman's the easy answer here, but he's got to win probably, or uh, at least you know heal his back at some point. Yeah, I uh, I like Daniel Suarez, even though I have no reason to after watching today. I mean, talk about a speeding penalty, absolutely murdering your day, poor guy. I mean, was running well, running in the top five, gets that speeding penalty. Ends up not only a lap down, but eventually just has something so wrong with the car, just decides, screw it, we're going in, we're calling it a day. But I, I think right now it it's hard to bet against Trackhouse. I think as far as, you know, the, it's two cars, both are highly competitive every week. So I think, I mean, the problem is, like you said, I don't even know where Austin Cindric has been let alone getting to a place to where he's going to get himself, you know, in the playoffs with a win or, or even if you can point your way in, which I doubt is going to be an option. Um, Michael McDowell, I think you know I love me some Michael McDowell, but I just think his days of kind of becoming a playoff threat are are a little behind him. Um, I think the pinnacle was that, uh, you know, was the win there at Daytona, and that's kind of all we've got left. But, yeah, I think of that list that you gave me, I, I, it's – it's Daniel Suarez, and I don't think it's particularly close. I think you got to look at he's going to have a good enough car. I think he's got enough skill. I mean, hell, he won at Sonoma last year. Who'd have thought? So I just think if anybody's going to kind of come out and surprise you with the performance in that group, i got to go with Daniel Suarez. Yeah, and it looks like a lot of these guys, uh, it's either going to be either consistency the next 13 weeks or they're going to have to win, uh, and I feel like the Suarez – Pick there, obviously, with the track house speed they've shown in the last year and a half with the next-gen car. Not a not a bad pick at all there. Um, you know, I will say Austin Cindric is sleepy. I know he hasn't been around, but there are multiple road courses coming up. That is something you got to keep yeah. in mind with his background, you know, in road courses. Um, wouldn't be shocked to see him steal a win there. But um, the other name that, you know, out of the playoff grid hasn't even been mentioned because obviously where he's at right now in 29th or 28th, I believe, Chase Elliott is going to have to win to get in. And obviously, uh, with the road courses coming up like Cindric, you know, we kind of are kind of taking him for granted and penciling him in. But that is something to note that Elliott's going to have to win one of these to get in. Yeah, it, it certainly feels, um, I don't know, it, it, it's odd because you almost, like we were talking about, when you're kind of penciling in wins and stuff at the beginning of the season, Chase Elliott's kind of one of those names that you just automatically put in the playoffs. So. To not, you know, to be halfway through the season and not have him qualified in, whether it be through points or a win, is kind of an abnormal feeling. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just like you said. Realistically, is anybody? It would be more shocking if Chase Elliott does not win a race for the remainder of the season than if he ends up kind of sticking around where he was. Um, I think everything that can go wrong has gone wrong for Chase Elliott this season, such that you know. That you're really kind of looking at his basement as a driver, in my opinion, as much as I hate to admit it. I, I really think this is probably the worst that he can do. So moving forward, I just think, you know, we forget about the month last year where he basically finished no worse than second 
the entire I think it was the entire month of October. So uh, we'll see. I'll sit on my hands on this take. I would love it if we could get a little bit of parody. I love hearing Chase Elliott fans cry on Twitter and stuff like that. It's kind of one of my favorite pastimes. So it would be interesting, but <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put any money on that. Well, you know, we might as well just you know go real quick since it was NASCAR Throwback Weekend. Um, Got to give credit to Fox also. FS1, probably if not the best top two or three best broadcasts of the season from pre-race and all the coverage from the NASCAR 75 to all the different you know guys in the booth they had for each stage. Um, obviously, it felt like Fox definitely rolled out the. the all the, the stops for really an iconic weekend for NASCAR with the celebration and kind of the, the culmination for that 75. But add, um, I have to just, you know, go on a tangent really quick here. Stage two, obviously I, you know, we talked about it in the text. It wasn't the most exciting stage racing for stage one and two on the track. They were kind of saving it for the second half of the race. I think some of the drivers, but in the booth with Carl Edwards, who um, just kind of came out of hibernation in the last four years out of, columbia missouri i know that feeling carl you're not alone um he just comes out of nowhere puts on the smile and absolutely hits a home run straight out of the park i mean was a natural on the on the broadcast booth everything he does he touches to gold outside of actually championship racing i mean my god carl edwards if you just want to randomly show up to the booth every week with fox or whenever you just kind of wash up on shore we will gladly take you with open arms because, man, him and Boyer in the booth, that was a great dynamic. Yeah, I, it was one of those things where I texted you. Clint Boyer works when he has another driver around him and he has someone to kind of play off of. And Carl Edwards seems to be the perfect partner for a guy like Clint Boyer. And like you said, Carl Edwards is genuinely one of those guys. Everybody knows them. There's at least one of them that went to your elementary school and then followed you to middle school and then high school. He's one of those guys who's just good at everything he touches. Feels like if he were to pick up a golf club, he'd be an absolute stick. Feels like if he decided to go water skiing, he could pull it off easily. But, you know, just to hear kind of the way that they were able to subtly be like, Carl, where the hell you been? And to kind of hear what Carl Edwards has been up to kind of with his family and stuff like that. And to not to just hear his insight as to what's going on on the track, especially you know the conversations he had with Ryan Newman, who was another guy who was back this week, who kind of was in it, you know just good to see him around. I I just think when you get guys from NASCAR, that really was NASCAR's golden age there, and he was kind of towards the tail end of it. Don't get me wrong, but that's one that was a time in America where everyone knew who Carl Edwards was the majority of people knew who Kyle Busch was everybody knows who Dale Earnhardt Jr is Jimmy Johnson like that was when NASCAR was embedded in the pop culture so it just seems to make sense to have a guy like Carl Edwards be more involved and it it, it was very nice to see not only um was he well received with the booth and invited to do it, but just how happy he was to be there and to be involved and to be a part of it. It it just seemed like it was good for everyone involved. And I hope we get more of it because like you said, Bob, it was chef's kiss of announcing. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was very good. Um, yeah, I, you kind of, yeah, exactly. Um, obviously with, with stage one, you kind of had the, the weekend at Bernie's for the first few laps. They had to wake Richard up. Um, Kyle Petty, you know, he's been on NBC for a while, so that was 
uh, a familiar voice. And obviously Bill Elliott with stage three, uh, you know, uh, very, very nice to hear the, the, the man from the Goodyear commercials. I guess some say he used to race as well. But um, And a big shout out to Bill Elliott for not only wearing the Everham racing shirt, but the Everham racing shirt with the Dodge logo on it. I mean, talk about just making every every executive in the hallway and in and the TV suite, wherever it was there at Darlington, just making their skin curl just a little bit. I love that out of him. Yeah, well, um, again, credit to Fox. We are very critical of their broadcast. So when they do it right, we have to give the same uh, energy and uh, no qualms today. Uh, very, very uh, strong performance. Even the commercials, you know, obviously there was a couple to begin, but they really felt like I was logged down with commercials. That is also the perk of being on FS1. Um, you are hidden from, uh, you know, the, the national TV audience, but you do have less commercials, so the race does flow a little bit better as a viewer. That is kind of the the coup d'état, if you will, for you know giving up the broadcast window there on national TV. But um, yeah, again, throwback weekend with all the paint schemes. It just, you know, it's a great way to kind of incorporate Darlington and that you know old school NASCAR, blend it with the modern day here. Ad, um, we did have. Go ahead. Let me ask you this, Bob. Because we've been talking about schemes all week, and I don't think I've really asked you this question. Which one of the throwback schemes that you saw this week was your favorite? That's tough. Um, what jumps out, I mean, obviously, as a, as a Jeff Gordon fan grew up, I, I do love the William Byron Odes to the 24 team. I, I, I love that scheme. Um, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, though, um, and it's kind of subtle, but the Sheldon Creed AC Delco throwback to Kevin Harvick in the Xfinity race yesterday, chef's kiss, well done there. Um, seeing Ryan Newman in his kind of old all-tell scheme for Rick Ware, um, I don't know how quick they made that turnaround happen, but that was really well done there. And uh, I'm trying to think there was one more. The, oh, it was the Brad Keselowski Castrol racing. Kind of a John Force Casey Atwood one as well. Um, Yorba Linda zone ad. I, I'll, I'll let you have the floor there. Yorba Linda stand up. John Force got a mention on the NASCAR broadcast today. Um, I am a proud Yorba Lindian, a Yorba Linda resident. Um, home of Richard Nixon, disgraced president, and John Force, 16-time funny car, NHRA funny car champion. And you put some respect on his name. So that was obviously, you know, anytime you get the... I looked at that card and was like, kind of shook my head a little bit. Kind of was like, wait a minute, I've seen it. And then they said it on the broadcast, and I realized that that's actually what they were going for. And that was awesome. Um, I think anytime, you know, I loved uh, Blaney's. Blaney's throwback was kind of cool. I don't think it was very well done, but the idea behind it was very cool. Kind of do something different with his dad's uh, World of Outlaws days. That was kind of cool. And the other one, I didn't realize until this throwback scheme that Tony Stewart only ran one one race for Hendrick Motorsports. And honestly, Kyle Larson's car looked great today. I, I really liked the colors. Anytime you get black and blue with sports involved, it's fine. I think in fashion, it's a nightmare. In sports, sports jerseys totally works. And that just proved my point today because... It, it really looked good when it was getting into the back of Ross Chastain and spinning him and just kind of pushing him all the way through turn two. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Well, um, what I was going to say earlier was um, obviously with the NASCAR throwback weekend, you're getting to blend the old school and the new school with modern NASCAR in Darlington. Um, while you were gone, Ad, there was some news that kind of did blend the old school and new school, new, old school and new school in NASCAR there. Um, the artist formerly known as Petty Enterprises turned Petty GMS, turned Petty Johnson on this broadcast, a.k.a. Legacy Motor Club. 
um, did announce that they were going to Toyota uh, earlier in the week and obviously made some ripple effects through NASCAR. Um, obviously, doesn't have to break it down too much, but I think we do have to just kind of mention that because that is a big thing. Um, there was some kind of rumors around 2020, 2021, right when Bubba Wallace was on his way out of Petty, when it was still Petty in the 43 team, that they were looking at transitioning to Toyota. Um, obviously got tabled with the transition to GMS and that you know ownership combo. Um, but clearly there was something on the back burner there because Toyota adds two more charters to their fleet now. They've been, I don't think that's any secret, trying to add teams to their fleet the last few years, um, especially in the super speedways. It really shows that they're outnumbered compared to the, the Chevys and the Ford. So um, getting two charters, a young ownership team with, you know, Jimmy Johnson on head and Jimmy Johnson in a Toyota. My God. Oh my, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Once, once people stop having their aneurysm, I think it makes sense moving forward, but add, um, just wanted your thoughts on that real quick here. Yeah. Take, um, everything, you know, of, you know, brand loyalty and NASCAR and that we've always seen through the years and throw it out the window. Um, let's just look at it from both, both sides here and I'll start with the positive. So let's look at it from Toyota's perspective, because like you said, there's no secret Toyota's been trying to add charters. And I think with adding legacy, it's not just like you're going and just kind of getting like, I, I don't know, there's there's a difference right now. If if like if Spire announces that they're going to Toyota or if, or I don't, I don't even know, just like maybe even Front Row like announces they're going to go to Toyota. Nobody really cares, but... I give a lot of credit to the people at, you know, Petty Johnson, Legacy, whatever we whatever we like to call it, for recognizing, look, we're not going to get the manufacturer support from Chevy. And I think that's that's where you kind of get to the other side of this conversation. But for Toyota, this is awesome. This is great. You're getting a legendary you're getting you're getting two Two of the three gentlemen who have the most championships in the history of NASCAR, you know, around your product. They may not have won them in your product, but they are now going to be associated with your product. And I think it's a big part of kind of Toyota. They came into NASCAR to Americanize their brand. And I think you don't get more American. You don't get more NASCAR than Jimmy Johnson and, and Richard Petty. And I think that's the side of it where Toyota, this is a home run for them. This is going to be one of those things that I think we look at in five years. And I, I, I don't know. I just, it just, you can see Jimmy Johnson still has the passion for racing. Like when he was a driver and it's going to transition somewhere. And I, I, I just, I see it going well. This feels like one of those, one of those things where you're going to remember when it was announced because the future seems so bright and looking at it from Chevy's perspective, Bob, it, it how do you let this would be essentially like selling your trademark to the Chevy Silverado to another to another manufacturer because that Jimmy Johnson and Chevy have been synonymous for years at this point and you know you win seven championships with a, with a manufacturer and you have that good of a relationship it was one of those things where it was like I almost crossed legacy completely off the list of teams that would jump from Chevy because of Jimmy Johnson and just to learn that he was kind of the linchpin behind making that decision is it, it just goes to show you they, they're looking to win. And I think credit all credit to them for kind of recognizing that they weren't going to get the support that they needed and shame on Chevy for not giving it to him. Because at the end of the day, if there's anybody that deserves it, I think it's Jimmy Johnson. And especially as he goes out into this new venture, I, 
I don't know what it, it certainly can't you can't erase the past but it definitely sours the future and I'm just excited to kind of see moving forward you've got a lot of these young drivers that are younger drivers like Denny Hamlin Jimmy Johnson who I think are are now aligned with Toyota and I think it's I don't know I, I just think this is going to be a bigger deal than a lot of people are giving it credit for and it's already a pretty big deal if you've checked Twitter at any point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it's it's more on the Toyota side. I'll go ahead. And, you've covered the Jimmy Johnson side, I think. I'll go ahead and just do the Toyota side real quick here just to wrap it up. Um, you know, obviously, they double their fleet in the last three years, let's just say, from a four-car team. You add Michael Jordan's team now to 2311 with Denny Hamlin, Denny Hamlin, and now you get GMS, uh, Petty, whatever you want to call it, Legacy Motorsports. But you get Maury Gallagher's pocketbooks with Allegiant and all that. You get Jimmy Johnson's expertise, and you get Richard Petty's history. It's a great combo because for Toyota, you're doubling your fleet. Chevy didn't have the resources to give. I mean, they didn't have leg, legacy is a non-factor for Chevy. Let's just call it what it is. We can shame Chevy all they want for losing Jimmy Johnson, but they can't make time. They can't have too many cooks in the kitchen. They've already got RCR. They've already got Trackhouse, and of course Hendrick. There's just not enough of the pie to go around, unfortunately. So for legacy, it makes sense because Toyota also needs development drivers they need seats for their pipeline Toyota got one of the best developments in the sport i think it fords is non-existent right now i mean outside of the truck series but you know obviously chevy's got a decent one obviously with getting kyle bush's you know whole side colleagues a great pipeline but you know for toyota this is two more seats in the cup series and then down the line depending on how legacy is going to develop you could see them expand into the xfinity or truck series there's more seats for Toyota. So um, it's growth for Toyota. Legacy gets to be feeling like they're valued more. It's a win-win for everyone really here. And um, I, I would be curious to see if there's any other smaller teams that see this and think, you know, that makes more sense, like a front row or, uh, you know, teams that may not necessarily have the you know alliances with the bigger teams but are still around. Obviously, Spire's got somewhat of a development or, um, you know, Rick Ware's got the development with other teams. But you could see some of the teams kind of step out on their own and say, hey, why can't we do what Legacy's doing? I'm so – and I think that's the part of this that I'm so interested to see, Bob. Like, looking at it from Toyota's is they've they never really run this deep before. And obviously, I think it makes sense right now because there's only two teams that, like, you you know, the priorities are where they are because just that – I mean, it, it makes sense. It's JGR. It's 2311. And – with legacy coming into the fold, it's like, well, how did I'm just curious to see what the pecking order is. If Toyota really treats it like a true pecking order, if they just kind of give them all, you know, like Lord knows they've got the money to do it. If they want to, they could, they could really resource it. Like, and I think they have the resources to make this work. And I think adding a two team charter, a two charter team here along to kind of fill out the other two that they've got with 2311. It, it just seems to make the perfect, like a perfect amount of sense for me. Be interesting to see. I, I brought this up when it first happened, but been a few weeks. Maybe Legacy goes Xfinity racing in the next few years. Who knows? But I, I just think, like you say, it, it, like you said, it opens up so many doors, Bob, and I'm just anxious to see which one they walk through. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely... Uh, something to watch moving forward with the pipeline, with Toyota, with Legacy, and uh, an another young ownership group in NASCAR. I mean, really, um, that's kind of been the theme the last few years. It feels like a changing of the guard. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson's going to be one of those faces that's at the table moving forward, and that's something we've got to accept. 
he'll be with the Toyota gang, but um, you know, familiar face, just in a different different uh, look there. But um, you know, obviously, that was kind of the big story over the week. Um, I, you know, we've kind of been off schedule here at Breaking Balls for the last few weeks here, so it's nice to kind of get back in the rhythm here, Ad. And yeah. um, I, I mean, have we have we missed anything in the last couple of weeks here? I mean, is there anything? Um, just pressing. Obviously, you you've been in Italy. You've been um, a tourist. You've been all around. I mean, um... yeah. Like I said, watch an F one race. Um, if you if you try and tell me that that's better than NASCAR on a week to week basis, I'm I'm just gonna start hitting you. Because at this point, like it's on site. It's just not true. Um, yeah, I I don't even necessarily have words for what I watched in that small little pub at Venice, but it. It was just Max Verstappen making, I think, eight passes, and then they followed him for the rest of the time. So that was pretty wild. Um, other than that, man, I mean, I was so mad that I had to watch the highlights of the Kansas race and follow it on Twitter. Because, like, I, I got to watch, like, a piece of it just because I found a stream somewhere, and then it died on if, me If you chose to watch the F1 race over Kansas that day, you got what you deserved. Because you missed out on an actual race. And what was I going to do? Walk into this bar and say, hey, do you guys have an NASCAR race on? No, I was not going to try and do that. As there were a few gentlemen next to me in Ferrari stuff. And I was like, you know, maybe today's not my day to go in and ask them to change it to NASCAR. So I decided to pick my battles. But, you know, Italy's cool. Europe's cool. Um, I enjoyed it. It was great to travel, but... God damn, I, I am just so happy to be back in the United States and to be able to watch NASCAR and sit here and talk about it with my good friend Bob. It, it, it is the simple freedom of my life that I I just enjoy. And, uh, yeah, heck of a trip. Like I said, Bob, you're, when you're on a cruise ship with, uh, with just about anybody you can imagine, like any state in the American South was represented uh, on this trip. I don't know what... What um, Norwegian Cruises is doing down south with their marketing, but it is working. Um, I heard all sorts of fun conversations that will eventually come out on this podcast one by one, um, including a grown man calling his wife. <laughs> Can't even say the name on the podcast. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to bite our tongue because I don't think I could be caught on the internet repeating what this gentleman said. Is it a four-letter word that starts with Chastain? But not. Um, no, seven letters. Um, I'm not going to let you do take the time and do that math for the sake of our listeners. But it was uh, it was something, Bob. I'll I'll tell you after the show. But I honestly, it's just good to be back in the saddle, man. I I missed this. I miss having the platform. I missed having the conversations. And we won't be gone. We won't be gone for that that extended of a period. I would like to say ever again, but. Um, I'll never say never. We'll have to figure it out. But we are we're we're back on back in a New York groove, back consistency and with consistency and I'm just happy about it. The podcast only missed a week. It was just that Adam missed a couple weeks, so um Well, I, I well that's why it feels like it was a longer gap than what it is. But I I understand. I understand. We tried to hold down the fort as well as we could, but this dynamic only works with two people. I think think our listeners found that out uh, a couple weeks ago with Dover, but um, in any in any means, if you if you powered through the solo Bobcast, I feel like um, you and I are probably a little bit closer uh, than ever now, listeners. So um, we'll always have that without Adam, regardless, moving forward. And 
Um, now we now we can savor what the the friendship looks like in front of the camera because I think this is is a necessary dynamic. It's not it's not an Adam show. It's not a Bob show. This is an Adam and Bob podcast. So, damn it, breaking balls is back to normal, and uh, I, I feel like we're going to keep it that way. Hopefully. Hey man, it takes two to tango, and evidently it takes two people to record this podcast because I think between the two of us, we've probably got three quarters of a brain. I don't know. I don't know what the math looks like on that, but honestly, Bob, just glad to be back doing it with you. Um, if you've listened to this point, please like, comment, subscribe, share this with your friends. Um, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe if you if the comment's good enough, we'll just read the comments section next time. I don't give a shit. At this point, we'll reward your we'll reward your engagement. I'll read them right here on the podcast. If you comment, I will Venmo you a single dollar. You heard it here first. You can make money off of this podcast now off of my co-host. It's just like Clint Boyer and his five thousand dollars every week with Fox. So, um, we'll we'll be back for North Wilkesboro. We're staying in the South traditional NASCAR next week. The All Star Race is at a a track that's been revived. I can't wait to see all of the. Uh, the antics, the pageantry, Kevin Harvick's back in the 29 car. And uh, real quick before we close out the show, Ad, give me a pick for your all-star winner next week. Oof. Um, okay, short track racing. Interesting. Da, 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 da. Honestly, I'm going to stick with all Uncle Mo. I, I think this is, this is the week. I think Brad gets a win. I think I like Brad Keselowski. I have, I have no reason behind it. I know I'm picking a Ford, which is the worst thing I could do. But you know what? I like it. I, I just feel like I feel yeah. like this is the week. I, I, I feel like Denny Hamlin's, I don't know, it would be good for the podcast ratings for himself and for us. So um, actions are not, what detri- not as detrimental if he wins for North Wilkesboro. I'm going Denny Hamlin again. I mean, Bob's just going to keep going back to the well with Denny Hamlin because he was very correct the last time he yep. picked him. So yep, we're, we're just going to keep that rolling. Something something about the bumper behind You see me. the bumper. You see, yeah, I was going to say. You it see the bumper. Feels, you, know, you know the vibes. Feels, you know what works. Yeah, it feels very weird. I'm not sure where you came up with that pick so quickly. I'm, I'm just not sure. So It's right over my shoulder. But anyway, it's, it's nice to have you back here, Ad. Hopefully, uh, hopefully next episode we'll, we'll be back together again. Hopefully the, the viewers have dictated that they don't want to see an, an Adam-only episode. But, um, you know, hey, we'll read the comments. We'll see what they want. And until next time, we'll be back with uh, episode 58 of Breaking Balls. We're, we're doing the damn thing, my friend.